0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Shakti Waves Radio with your host, Sonia Abramovic. I'm here in Vancouver, BC, about to record this awesome interview. Don't know what's going to happen with my university friend, Eric Termundi. He's a speaker, an amazing communicator. He's an author of Rethink Work. He's kind of obsessed with how people work and maybe how they don't work sometimes. I'm excited to have this conversation with him. Him and I had a pretty epic conversation last month that kind of opened up my world in terms of communication and storytelling. So we might dive into that a little bit today, but let's start with Eric Hayer.
1: Thank you for being here. And I mean being here because this is the first time I've had an in-home podcast interview so literally welcome to my home (laughs) and thank you for this opportunity I'm excited to see where the conversation goes full disclosure for anyone who's listening we have not discussed topics questions direction anything so what you're going to get today is sort of a commitment from us to you is whatever comes to the top of our minds is going to be real honest and totally authentic so here we go
0: yes that was an even better introduction than I could have given thank you That's my favorite thing about this podcast is I do them all in person because they're all with people that I really know who I consider to have created or live a life that's extraordinary. They've dived into their greatness. I want to hear what that was like for you. The last time I saw you, I think it was BSD. (laughs) You may have been not wearing a shirt and just been wearing like that tartan scarf that we had in Uh. business school and maybe like neon Kanye glasses so we've come a long way <laughs> so I'd love to know like where did this concept come from you started a consulting company mm-hmm. right outside of university and you did start speaking like shortly thereafter or maybe even in university so just tell me the origin story of this
1: I think it's funny that you say extraordinary careers or life or mm-hmm. whatever it is first that's a heavy word. And if I'm being totally honest, one that sort of makes me feel a little anxious when I hear it, because Mm. it doesn't matter if you ask me 10 years ago, 10 weeks ago, 10 days ago, or 10 minutes ago, I'm still very much figuring it out. And I was having a conversation with a speaker friend of mine yesterday, who actually was one of the guys who made me realize that this career, that there was potential to it. We were laughing about the conversations and beliefs and actions that we were taking 18 months ago I'm saying like how ridiculous was that like, As if we thought that was going to work and then we realized that in 18 months from now we're going to be saying the same thing about yesterday so I guess what I'm trying to say is wherever I'm at right now is simply a stepping stone to whatever's next and it's not this pursuit to success or pursuit to extraordinary it's just this pursuit to figuring it out really mm-hmm. whatever that means I find the less attached to money or the less I'm thinking about money, the more easily it comes. So it's not that I'm pursuing a dollar amount. It's more than I'm pursuing a lifestyle, I think, Mm -hmm. is really what I'm going for. And that does require increased number of flights or increased number of gigs or increased days away from home. And that's a decision that I've decided I wanted to make. I think this year I'm adding up my flights. I took about 80 of them. I was on the road probably 150 or 160 days. And that's where I wanted to be. Now going back to the tartan scarf me on glasses and short shorts. Short shorts. Some of those things I don't really think have changed, if I'm being totally honest. Not to suggest I'm wildly partying and things, you know, perhaps like I used to, but there's still sort of that playful spirit, I think, that reigns true all the way through. It's a big question, what's happened in the last 10 years? And so maybe I'll dive into a short little version of it. We can pick it apart or -hmm. or, or see what you like as we get into it. In university, we both went to the University of Calgary. For those who didn't know, though I'm sure if you're listening to the podcast, you're well aware by now, we were both business students and I was not very strong academically to the point where I was on the dean's vacation or very close. So that put me at about a 2.1%. GPA. And 2.0 is kind of cut off. I kind of had to figure it out. I went to Australia, did the sort of find yourself trip for a semester and came back. Well, perhaps I should talk about the discovery there. I really like quotes. And one of the quotes that stuck with me there uh, was an Ella Roosevelt quote, small minds discuss people, average minds discuss events, and great minds discuss ideas. And when I look at a quote, whether it's today or 10 years ago, I try and think, really, how does that fit with where I'm at right now? And when I saw that quote, I was in Melbourne, Australia, March of whatever year it was, 2010, I think. I looked at this and I thought, hey, I'm in a country I've never been to before with nobody I've ever met before in events and places I've never seen before. And so I don't have this opportunity to talk about people and events. I've only got this opportunity to talk about ideas. And when Mm. you talk about ideas, it's forward thinking very often. And when you talk about events, hey, how about Jackie, how about that event last week? How about that hockey game? Or how about that event that happened usually in the past? There's no opportunity for creation. And when I found it, when great minds discuss ideas, that's when we start discussing or creating new opportunities. And when you're in a new country, it's really easy to create new opportunities because you don't know people, you don't know the events, and all you've got is a very small budget, a very high interest in having as much fun as possible, and a whole bunch of question marks on how to do it. So I find it's really easy to connect with people because now all of a sudden you're creating together. I think we've got it backwards societally where you have to know somebody very well to trust them and to be vulnerable with them. Mm. And what traveling taught me is it's the total opposite. The sooner you can be vulnerable and trust somebody, the faster you can catalyze that relationship. So I came back to the University of Calgary and realized that, hey, I mean, I still wanted to get my business degree. I still wanted that piece of paper and the education was still going to be great. How about I double down on, Idea creation and how could I double down on you know doing something new and exciting and socializing with people, uh, building those relationships. So, uh, ended up being vice president of the business club, then vice president of the student union. We had an eighteen million dollar budget for twenty five thousand students, and then ended up being a class ambassador, which was one of the I guess top five students of the graduating class of that year. And it certainly wasn't grades related. But then I took that. And I thought, great, I'm a shoe in from the consulting job that I really wanted to get, which was Deloitte, PwC, Ernst Young, KPMG, mm-hmm. McKinsey, Bain. To me, it didn't matter because they were all great companies with all great reputations. I didn't actually get a call back from any of them. I didn't have interviews and didn't get the job. So I thought, hey, you know, how can somebody who's got the ability to learn? I didn't think that I knew everything by any means. I didn't think that I was going to go in and just be a slam down for the job. I knew that I still had lots to learn. But also that I had what I thought was the ability to learn this, too, based on the extracurricular activity that I'd done, based on the position that I held. And, and I guess that wasn't the case. And so my co-founder and I at the time, we decided to try and solve this problem. How can we help organizations understand this next generation of talent? Mm-hmm. And did is we built a tool that quantified workplace culture, survey-based tool that put numbers behind culture. So anything from diversity to sustainability, to the hours that you were at work, to conflict resolution and management, to the time that you spent with your manager, to mm. what your life was like outside of work. And what we were trying to do is to understand the life that you live because on the outset, looking in, let's just say we were going to be a consultant. You could work at PwC, Deloitte, Ernst Young. And to me, all that was different was the logo. To me, they all did and looked and felt the exact same thing, mm-hmm. the exact same way. And that's not necessarily the truth. That's like being here in Vancouver, saying that the culture at Aritzia, Arteryx, Lululemon, Mech, Indochino are the exact same. And that's not exact, That's not true at all. When we can quantify these differences, the idea was how can we help employers attract not just people, but the right people based on the experience that they have mm-hmm. while they're at work, knowing that Sonia might be a great fit at one marketing firm and a terrible fit at the other, even though she's qualified to do both. And if she could proactively understand what those qualities were that she would align with, then she could be a stronger candidate because she could articulate that better. And so ideally now, when we looked at the numbers, we saw that the average person coming out of university was applying to between 60 and 80 jobs, that a recruiter was looking at these resumes for 6.25 seconds each, that one in 50 led to an interview and one in 10 interviews led to a job. For rolling these heavily weighted dice in the wrong direction, and found that to get a job, let alone the right one, well, I did the math, it's like one in 33,000 or something like that to find a job that will actually totally align with. <laughs> we can break down those numbers later. Really, it's no wonder that engagement hasn't changed in the last 10 years, that workplace depression or dissatisfaction or anxiety are higher than they've ever been before, that this connotation around work has not changed. And so this consulting that we did and some of the results that we had, people were pretty interested in our view of culture and how we could change it and what it meant and how it looks and feels and how we can design it and modify it. Fast forward, I wrote a book called Rethink Work and ended up doing 40 talks for free or had my expenses covered, got signed by the National Speakers Bureau, who I'm loyal to and thankful for to this day. And I guess fast forward to where we are today, I've been on just over 200 stages, 58 of them this year. The book did quite well. And, um, working with 15 agencies now and really looking into an international and American dive next year. I got my U S visa this year, five years, no questions asked crossing the border, which is great. Really excited for all things coming. Now, I guess I go back to saying, you know, with respect to extraordinary, there were so many stumbles and slips and falls this year, just in terms of branding, in terms of how I'm articulating the, the presentation in terms of my storytelling, in terms of really making sure that it's condensed and actionable and strong. And I suspect it'll be the same for the next decade. And that's the beauty of this job. You can argue that every event, every month is a finish line, or you could argue that you never actually make it to the finish line because the sky's the limit. And I'm excited for both.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, I think you just exemplified you being more fascinated by ideas than people and events because your story was mostly based on that idea and what that idea created was more ideas and kind of this way of thinking that helps people understand their work place culture and helps workers the workforce understand what's what's actually happening to them or why they might be dissatisfied what an incredible conversation to be having
1: something i'll say too and why i think this conversation is so important if i look at the numbers right now i'm just going to do like a data spill for a second the average person right now is working 47 hours a week which is higher than it's been in decades in fact centuries really You know, I was actually doing some research into back in like hunting and gathering times, the average individual, even when hunting and gathering was still only working about four hours a day. Now, in the agricultural revolution, first industrial revolution, it was around the clock. Farmers were working around the clock to make it work for themselves. And as we got into the second and third industrial revolution, we worked less and less and less. But now with this fourth industrial revolution, the ability to be connected to our phones at any given time, the number that just came out a couple of weeks ago is we're living 31 and a half hour days because of our ability to multitask. Now, if we know that we've only got 24 hours in the clock, that seven on average of those hours we're sleeping, we're awake for 17 hours. So if we did the math, that means for seven and a half hours, we're doing two things at once for 42% of our days, we're doing two things at once. And I think we can agree when we're doing two things at once, we're not doing anything all that well. There's this sort of paradox of choice of what we can do. Like you and I could, or anyone who's listening could go on LinkedIn or Monster or Indeed or some job board and apply to a job in Sweden today, get the job in the next two weeks, move to Sweden by the end of the month, start in a month and realize, hey, this job, while the job might've been good, I can't stand Stockholm. (laughs) We're not looking at the right conversation. What is the life that you want to design given that there's less of a separation, if any, between work and life anymore to suggest that, Maybe it's not about work-life balance anymore. Maybe it's about work-life integration. Maybe we're integrating it too. And if that's true, maybe it's not about integration at all. Maybe it's just life and work's a part of it. So unless we're able to understand first and then articulate what the life that we're going to live is as a result of the job that we're going to do, we're really missing the mark and not telling a big enough story. So my goal is to remove that negative connotation associated with work so that people can enjoy the thing we do more than anything else in a day, which is work. I mean, if we're working 47 hours a week, statistically now, both parents are working more now than they ever have before. Even in British Columbia, 50% of the population is living paycheck to paycheck. We don't have time to be creative. We don't have time to design our lives because we're so busy working up to the line that we're not getting ahead of it. And I believe that if we take this culture conversation and make it more proactive, more wholesome, more data and detail oriented that you and I and everyone else in the world can make a better educated decision for themselves so they could live a better life by design through the work that they do. And that's what I'm trying to really tackle.
0: So essentially you're a life coach.
1: (laughs) I guess so. I guess so.
0: Because the life coach company I got trained through, their registered trademarked tagline is life by design. The last time we had a conversation, you said, what's something that really annoys you or you just don't understand? Mm -hmm. And I honestly, after the last year of not having a job, you know, making my own job, I said, I honestly don't understand this culture of jobs are just what you have rather than something that you consciously choose to be a part of your life. I've thought about it some more since that conversation. And it's honestly just the status quo of having a job, almost the fact that people feel disempowered or like they're powerless to the ability to have choice over a job Mm -hmm. and what I actually see you creating or giving people access to is more power of choice what do you think
1: power of choice sure yes power of understanding too I mean this is a big uphill battle I'm trying to fix right now work right now is not positive we drag our feet to work on Monday. We post on Instagram or social media on Wednesday that it's hump day and halfway through. And on Friday, we skip out of the office. That's a problem. I mean, that's a big problem. We only have 168 hours in a week. and We're working 47 of them. We got to fix it. I mean, we're spending more than a quarter of our entire week working. And when we look at this, too, it's not just what happens from nine to five. It's our family life. It's our social circles. It's what we're able to do on the weekends or not. And what I really want to get across is that there's no best culture. There's a best culture for you and there's a best culture for me, but there's no universal best culture. I think one of the biggest mistakes that companies are making, they're saying, how do we hire females or how do we hire millennials or how do we hire First Nations? Like they're all the same. And that's not at all true. In fact, when we look at age, for example, as an indicator of values, age only correlates with values to about 7%, which, I mean, you could pretty much roll dice and get better odds, right? Uh So instead of trying to attract someone based on what they are, what I really want to advocate for is attract people based on who they are and what experiences they want to have and what life they want to live as a result of the job. Because again, we're not trying to attract 90% of the population. Maybe we're trying to attract 0.2% of population. Maybe actually, we're just trying to fill that one position at a time. And for anyone who's got this sort of scarce mindset to say that British Columbia is short on talent or Canada is short on talent or the world is short on talent, or we've got a huge jobs crisis nationally, maybe, yeah, for sure we do. But for your organization, for that one position that you're trying to fill, That scarcity mindset is not going to do anyone any favors because you're not looking for a a country's worth of people to fill that job. You're looking for one. And if we can tell the right story by articulating the right experiences, there's going to be no problem in finding them.
0: Wow. That's a pretty big paradigm shift. Like, What's that like for you to share with people who are in HR, who are leaders, when you actually tell them to consider (sighs) who people are in the hiring process or in building teams? Like, Is that a pretty big shift? What do you hear?
1: The problem is, generally speaking, people think that they already are doing that. They're thinking, Mm. yeah, we've got our mission, vision, values. We value integrity, respect, honesty, open communication, team players who are motivated to succeed. And like, if you're anything like me, my eyes start to roll the back of my head on the second word because it's like, great, good optic statements. But that's about it. And I think there's a big disconnect between what is said and what is lived. And so when it comes to culture, the one thing I say is that, If a best culture doesn't exist, an optimized culture does. An optimized culture then is when the stated and the realized experiences are the same. So whatever's stated on that mission vision values or brochure or website, whatever's stated, if I were to go to ask an employee that works for you and say, what's it like to work here? And those statements resemble what's said on board, great. That's what you're looking for. And if it's not, which in most companies it isn't, that's where that disconnect is and that's where we can really tighten that up. I would say that most people think that that's what they're looking for. But I was just thinking of a study now yesterday that grades, that resume, that the traditional things that we look for in a job description don't actually indicate to any degree what future success is going to look like in the organization. So the shift that I think we need to make is that we need to be really embracing what's polarizing about who we are and what the organization is. So for example, What are the sort of like the must-haves that we need to have in a day? If we're an introvert, it might be different than an extrovert. If we're someone who is anti-materialistic, it might be different than someone who is materialistic. If we're someone who likes to be in the office or someone who's remote, these all might be different things. And again, there's no right or wrong. But if we start to identify the qualities and the experience that we want to have as individuals and start to put that out into the world and same with companies to say, hey, here's what we are and here's what we aren't. We don't have an open office concept. We don't have remote work. We don't have a dog in the office. We don't have a cake. We don't have a ping pong table. We don't meet for six hours a day. You're going to get probably 120 emails a day, and that's what it's going to be like. You're going to have a nine-to-five experience. You know how many people would actually find that incredibly refreshing and would love to apply to that? More than we think. But the problem is, is that most organizations think that we should be like Google or like Facebook or like Netflix or some sort of Silicon Valley startup or now behemoth. If that was the truth, people would be applying to Facebook or to Netflix or to Google. A lot of people don't want that experience. They don't want to be at work for 15 hours a day playing a ball pit at a nap pod, having breakfast in a cafeteria with their employees. Maybe they've got a two-year-old at home and they want nothing more than to go to work from nine o'clock to five o'clock, go home and spend time with his or her family. And that's great too. I think the more we understand our differences, what we are and what we aren't, the more intentional and honest we can be about the realized experience and attract the right people instead of just people who were looking for a job
0: oh wait honesty i feel like what you're talking about here could be applied to any person any relationship just being really really clear about who you are what your needs are what is required for you to even function optimally and that could be in any situation with work with friends with loved ones in romantic relationships have you thought about this concept being like more universal
1: yeah You know, something I was just going to put together this week, too, and I've been talking about it for a while. I want to call it just like my 20. And what are my 20 things that I need every day to have in order to have it be a good day, regardless of whatever else happens? Mm -hmm. Maybe it's some sort of physical activity. Maybe it's a coffee in the morning. Maybe it's a hug from your significant other. Little things that are like, we're going to put 20 smiles on your face that day what are 20 like, little accomplishments? Maybe it's make your bed, maybe it's brush your teeth. I don't care what they are. They don't have to be significant. But you're right. The sooner that we understand ourselves in a world that is busier and noisier than it's ever been before, the sooner I think we can navigate it to the best of our ability. Now, when we look at that busy and noisy conversation too, it's pretty staggering. I mean, 90% of the information on the internet today was put there in the past two years. And The amount of time it takes for society's knowledge to double, especially with quantum computing, artificial intelligence now, is about 12 months. So every year, the world knows twice as much as it did before. In fact, the entire medical field, everything we know about medicine now doubles between every six and eight months. Every minute, 400 hours of YouTube content is being uploaded. And so it's really hard to stand out. Now, let's dive into this for a second. This is something I've been playing with for a while, especially given American politics. One of the lines that I heard recently is that people would rather be criticized than ignored. So if we're heard, going back to sort of, let's say, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, at the base of that hierarchy needs, we've got food, shelter, water. We'll take it back. But going back to food, shelter, water, those who are applying to 60 or 80 different jobs probably need to pay for rent, right? Mm-hmm. So you're just like, I need that job. But after food, shelter, and water comes psychological, physical, emotional safety, so if you've got someone who's applying for you know maybe three or five jobs, they're more intentional because they've probably got a few months of rent stocked up. They don't need to worry about finances. But then I'm going back to this conversation about people would rather be criticized than ignored because I find that we all just want to feel loved and heard and seen. Because if 90% of the information that's on the internet was put there in the last two years, the internet's an incredibly busy place. But also we are more distracted than we've ever been before. And so I think when it comes to American politics or just politics in general, what I found is that you're either with me or you're against me. And there's nothing in between. And when it comes to this whole fake news conversation, I found that it's not even about being right. It's about being heard. And I think that that's what's happening now with a lot of these job descriptions and a lot of these Tinder profiles and relationships now. It's not about being right. we will figure that out later. It's about standing out and being heard. Because if you can make noise and get people to see you, That's when it goes back to that hierarchy of needs, and all of a sudden you feel like you belong. I'm not going to sway or even hint which direction I sit politically. It it doesn't matter. The fact is, when we look at the information that's on Twitter and all of these outlandish statements that are being made, either direction, it's not about being right anymore. It's about standing out and being heard and getting those retweets, because that acknowledgement lets people know that you are heard. It doesn't matter if you're criticized. People would rather be criticized than ignored. So it's better to have people not like you than to not know that you even exist. And so I come back to this whole conversation around work and life and dissatisfaction and engagement. And I found that in many workplaces now, we'll use Slack or some sort of intranet or something like that. And we'll literally type a message to the person that's sitting behind us or the person that's sitting two desks down. We might go a full day without actually interacting with or seeing somebody because you're trying to be efficient. You're trying to be fast. But that's also where I think we're feeling more disconnected and in this sort of looming loneliness epidemic now. Because Harvard Business Review says that upwards of 40% of American adults are feeling lonely sometimes or always. And that number has never been this high before. It's kind of this paradox there too, where in a world where we're supposedly and built to be more connected than we've ever been before, I don't think we've actually ever been this disconnected. And while we could argue that quality of life for at least 50% of the population has never been higher, quality of society, I wonder where that sits too.
0: Hmm. Are you familiar with *The Course in Miracles? No. So it's this metaphysical text. It's kind of like a spiritual Bible of sorts that came out in the early 80s, I believe. It was kind of like downloaded, free writing mm-hmm. text. And it reads very biblically. And the main message in this book, it's kind of like a modern era Bible, is that fundamentally the difference in life or where you're coming from is either fear or love and Mm -hmm. that people fundamentally are love and want to be love and that it really all boils down to that. Like the derivative of almost any conversation is fear or love and people want love Mm -hmm. because it is who they are. It is what they are and it's what they want to experience. And with all of the facts and figures that you know about work, about society, Mm -hmm. about all the numbers, about the internet, like it's this propagating, distraction and information and it's both exhilarating and with all of that we could get lost in the noise of it and what I just heard you say was very fundamentally it just comes back to people wanting to be heard and I hear loved like you know known seen knowing that they were present or that they're here that someone would care if their voice was no longer there and I think that's really profound it's very sobering if I can ask like your speaker you propagate ideas, your communicator. How important is that for you to be heard?
1: I'm really careful about path that I take and the bridges that I burn along the way or don't. I could be a very abrasive, loud speaker. And I sort of pad a lot of my talks with safety. <laughs> I never come in and say, company X is doing it wrong. This is terrible. Don't do it this way. I'm saying, Let's challenge what we think are best practices and allow ourselves to come up with new alternatives. People don't really like being told what to do. People like coming up with ideas themselves. And so if I can guide them in a direction that allows them to come to their conclusion and make it their own, because I've enabled that thought process, then that's really what I'm looking for. And we're pretty young in terms of the progress that I've made on the speaking circuit. I'm quite happy with. I know, too, that there are lots of years to build this career. And, you know, I'm not looking for an overnight success, whatever that means. I'm just looking to build a life that I can be happy with building. And so all of my material is generally positive. It's empowering. It allows people to come to their own conclusions. And if it takes me an extra three years to get to wherever it is that I'm going, I'm okay with that. I'm really bad with people hating me. Um, Some people are okay with it. (laughs) Just check Twitter. I mean, people are totally fine with being (laughs) ripped apart. I can't do that. When someone totally shreds, a book review or something like that, that hits me pretty hard. And so I do everything I can to be careful about my word choice so that I'm not saying anyone's doing it wrong, but I'm still talking to people who are doing it wrong in my opinion and allowing them to come to their own conclusion that, Hey, maybe I'm not doing this the right way. Maybe there's a better way. And maybe I can still own it. I mean, I don't need credit for somebody who's made a total culture change or a total life change. I don't care. I can be happy that I was part of it. Sure. But if they come to that conclusion because of conversation that, that we had or, you know, a talk that they heard, fantastic. And they can own it. That's totally fine with me. And if it takes me an extra couple of years to make that next leap, that's totally fine. I've got nothing but time right now.
0: So much self-awareness. <laughs> well, what I just heard you say is that it's all kind of for not if it's not in alignment with who you are. And that kind of brings back to the conversation originally about knowing who you are, you're 20 your minimum requirements for happiness or fulfillment Mm -hmm. and that's really interesting like I don't know that everyone thinks about that when they're communicating in terms of if it's in alignment with their values or how they actually want to live their life and I wonder what what it would be like if people were like working and living that way I find even for me I have a math brain I'm so creative, but I immediately want to jump to the results. Like, what are the numbers? What could that look like? What, what do I need to do? What's the timeline? Let's get it in a schedule. I like to put it all in a beautiful, nice little grid where I can divide it by two. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't really work for me because a lot of the time when I'm going for those results, I tend to forget, like, why I'm even doing it. Mm-hmm. So what helps keep you on track?
1: To me, it's never about outcomes. It's always about process. I'll give you an example. We ran a half Ironman last year. And it wasn't about finishing the race. It was about training with my friends five, six, seven days a week for seven months. And that's what we did. (laughs) And I know these people so well now and mission accomplished. And sure, we did it. And it was great. We signed up for a 50-kilometer trail race in April. We're doing another half Ironman in June. And this is not about finishing the race. It's not about running 50 kilometers or hiking 50, whatever it is. In fact, we still find it totally ridiculous. We're laughing about it last night. Like, what are we doing? This is stupid. So with speaking or with the career or even something that I've practiced for the last decade is I'm not really striving to hit a milestone. I'm not striving to hit a number or a figure. I'm striving to be a little bit better than I was yesterday. I'm striving to build that routine and that process that enables growth to whatever it is that it's going to become. Because I think... When it comes to goal setting, for example, I don't do it. And, you know, I've had people tell me I'm crazy for it. And I've had people that don't understand it. And in both cases, probably they're right. <laughs> and, and, and and I think that's okay too. But where I'm going with this is that, and this is my theory around it. If I set a goal today for 10 years from now, puts me at 36. And I hit my 30th birthday four years from now and realize holy, I'm a different person at 30 than I was at 26, yet I've still got my 10-year goal. I've totally discounted what I've learned from 26 to 30 in pursuit of my 10-year goal that I made when I was 26. And so instead of trying to set goals that are 10 years out, I'm trying to set, okay, what is the person that I want to be and how do I want to show up every day along the way, knowing that as I pivot and grow and learn and discover and be challenged and be wrong along the way, new opportunities will present themselves new doors will present themselves and i'll be ready to walk through whichever one is open at wherever time that i'm at right now because if i look at high school i wanted to be a consultant i wanted to make it to the c-suite that's that's what i thought what, what success was and i think a lot of people in the corporate world now are sort of drinking that or were drinking that like here's what success looks like juice and now when we get into this whole results and entrepreneurship conversation it's always like how do i 10x, 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 5x. You know this job, this career, this life. How do I hack? You know, mm-hmm. how do I biohack? How do I do all these things? And I, th- I think that there's a lot of value to that for some people, and that's how they're going to get motivated and get it done. It doesn't work for me because I look at you know a Musk or you know a Branson or someone like that, and no doubt these guys are incredibly successful on Oprah and Ellen or whatever that might be. I mean, hugely successful people. But then. I also look at someone like Robin Williams or Amy Winehouse or Kurt Cobain or someone like that who I would have thought were incredibly successful. We don't know the story. We don't know what's going on. We don't know how happy they are. We don't know if we would like that life if we were to be living it. We like what it looks like. We like what it sounds like. We like the idea of success, but a lot of us don't even want to live it. You know, I grew up in Cranbrook, BC and Some of the happiest, most successful people that I know. Why? Because they can take three weeks off in the summer and go camping. Uh, They can go hiking on the weekends. They can be done at five o'clock. And that's not to suggest that's all of crampick either. There are the hustlers and the go-getters and the people that are making a ton of money too. And that's, that's great. I've just found that success looks different for each individual. And until we can understand ourselves and the process and the life that we live along the way, we'll never actually find success because we spend so much time chasing happiness that we never actually realize it. You know, one of my mentors, Matt Corker, he, I think he kind of like baited me into this for like a year because he kept asking me every, every couple of months until he finally did the big reveal and like the aha moment. He keep asking me every time we'd hang out. He said, like, when are you going to think that you've made it? When are you going to think that you've made it? He kept asking me this. And I was like, when I do this, when I do this, the next thing, the next, thing, the next thing. And then finally he dropped this bomb on me a while ago. And he said, well, what if you've already made it? I was like, oh, <gasps> what, what do you mean? He said, well, maybe where you are right now is exactly where you need to be. And that's not to advocate against growth or learning or development. But I find that we spend so much time chasing happiness that we don't realize that it's everywhere around us. Mm-hmm. That if we're spending so much time trying to 10x or 5x or hack or biohack or do whatever, or set these lofty 10-year goals that we don't live today, we're too busy looking at tomorrow. And so my goal today is to have a great conversation right now. Then to do whatever comes next, which I couldn't even tell you what it is. It's in 45 minutes and I have no idea what it is yet. And then do one thing at a time, giving my full dedication. I turned my cell phone on vibrate, or sorry, not even vibrate, silent about two years ago. So I've missed every call ever unless I happen <laughs> to be looking at my phone. And I'm okay with that. That's the price I'm paying for trying to be a little bit more present. And that's not to suggest that I don't have a cell phone or a computer or a technology addiction like most others. I still do. It's on my terms and I'm still trying to work on that, but I'm trying not to be attached to that thing at times that I don't want to be.
0: So we've talked about this a little bit, but listeners might not know this is that a lot of the principles you've just spoken to have been talked about by great like spiritual philosophers, kind of new age thinkers for a while, like the power of now being present, et cetera, like that it's already in the moment. Like happiness is a choice you make currently. What I think is interesting is I'd love to talk a little bit more about those three modes that you've been researching or studying or thinking about in terms of ways to get to the same conclusion. And what I experience in you is you've just like experienced it. You've just lived it and come to these conclusions from having mentors and having thoughts, but really just living into Mm -hmm. it. Whereas in I've had to study it and learn Mm -hmm. it because that's my mode of learning, but we get to the same place. And we're here being present together, not knowing the next thing we're about to say or what we're going to talk about. I'd love to break that down a little bit for people because I think it really opens up an opportunity for people to get to the right place for them in whatever format they need to get there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I was going to throw a disclaimer on that too, but you kind of did it for me in that there's no real research in the stuff that I'm talking about. Right. So the listeners may think like, oh, this is garbage. This is not what the book says. And no, I'm writing my own book and I, I've actually already done it. <laughs> this is the second one. And with that being said, take everything I say with a grain of salt, for sure. I invite you to disagree and to debate. This is where I learn the most is from those of you who are listening or the conversation that we're having today. And you do disagree. I find it very unfortunate, often when it's total agreement across the board, because then there's no discovery. If I said something, you're like, yes, that's 100% it, full stop. It's like, great, great. What else do you want to talk about then? You know, if you said, actually, no, I think this instead. Great. All of a sudden, we've opened up this conversation for both of us to discover and learn more. I'll just say, I don't think that I'm right, or that I'm dialed, or that I've got this nailed by any means. I'm just figuring this out like everyone else is. And, you know, to your point, you've got books and things to help you. I'm just going with experience. But with that said, I'm fascinated with language right now and have been for the last probably year and a half because as a speaker, very often what I say, what I mean, and what is heard are three totally different things <laughs> because this English language is very fickle. It's very intricate. It's very subjective, I find too, uh, because I woke up and had a tea this morning. I thought it was pretty good tea. Nothing fancy, you know, whatever looked in chai tea or whatever it was. But then I could go and say this tea was phenomenal. It was life-changing. It was transformational. Which sounds good on like a social media post, but then leaves us with very few words to use when something life-changing, transformational, or phenomenal happens. What if one of our friends from university, who doesn't exist, I'm just making up this example, was told that she couldn't get pregnant for four years, found out last week that she got pregnant, and something she wanted more than anything else her entire life that would be phenomenal, transformational, and absolutely incredible. It actually would be, it would be literally a miracle. But my tea that I made this morning is not a miracle. And so the more that I describe something like my tea or something that's every day that just happens with these big powerful words, the more I take away from something that actually is and deserving of these big words. What I'm really trying to do let me just give you one week in October this year, I had three events. One was for our building owners and managers association. One was outside of Chicago at a particle accelerator for national lab directors council, speaking about diversity and inclusion and belonging. And the third one is for the Ontario association of cemetery and funeral professionals. So we're speaking to a wildly different group, but they're not that different. We're all the same. Mm -hmm. We all still want to make our money, go home, live our happy lives, and that's it. We all just want to get it a different way. The art, I guess, of speaking is making sure that what I say, what I mean, and what is heard are the exact same things. And I try really hard not to lose people in the conversation. Going back to your original conversation, because I think that was an important lead up, there are a lot of ways to say the same thing. I actually think that we as humans, and I'm sure there's a number, but we can only feel so many different ways. Love, hate, anger, shy, embarrassed, anxious, whatever that might be, both positive and negative. Yet, we use so many words to describe it, which I find is fascinating. And we also get different energy from different sources. It's still energy. It's still motivation. It's still inspiration. It's still drive. It's still desire. It is whatever you want to call it to be. And it's not to suggest that one's more right than the other. It just is whatever you want to call it, whatever that manifests as for you. And I found, it's probably why I haven't read these books, uh, a lot of my energy comes from validation from others through the actions that I do like if I land a big stage or put out a book unfortunately and it's something that I'm working on I don't get all that excited about it but if my parents or my girlfriend or my friends say hey love that whatever it is that you did that's where I get it from because I get validated and I would love to be more internally validated but it's through the actions and the results that I'm doing that I'm getting validated right now but then I found that if someone's spiritual, they'll find that energy is coming from within, maybe from meditation or from yoga or from some sort of practice that they're doing. And then I found if someone's religious, they'll get a lot of energy, inspiration, motivation from sort of an external space, whether it be God or, or whatever that might be. And again, I want to be really clear, there's no right or wrong or better or worse, but there is for the individual that is, that's experiencing it. What I found is that if energy is a constant Really, anyone who is spiritual or religious or action-oriented, if we put them in the sort of three triangles, they're all expressing and saying the same thing using different language Mm -hmm. to get there. And if we understand where people are coming from and where they're getting that energy source from and we can use that language to relate to and experience a similar thing with, all of a sudden you're speaking the same language. And the more I get into this conversation about the English language, the more fascinating I find it to be because I want to make sure that what I say, what I mean, and what is heard are the same thing. And that's really what i found to be the art of this speaking that I'm enjoying more and more.
0: See, I'm reminded of a quote by Danielle Laporte, who's from Vancouver, who's one of my favorite writers. And she said, it's all energy. And all of it is like even your tea, like it's energy that makes it, hot and then you can enjoy it and energy from the sun help grow the leaves and to me i think that is a miracle it's a miracle you're drinking that tea and think about all the people on the hands that were touched in the global system and chain that helped you have that tea in a second so that you could i don't want to say the word like just not even have to think about it is that sure. significant yeah. so i think essentially what i'm trying to say is like if you look deep enough there is significance and meaning in everything and there are certain things that of course like afford way more reverence than we might than our everyday Mm. i really like that concept of energy being like generated and expressed in different ways by people what is your fascination with storytelling i actually don't think i'm a very good storyteller hence fascination
1: (laughs) yeah i don't actually think other than sort of my experience i haven't told a story yet today I'm not actually all that good at it. I'm fascinated with the connection of dots that haven't been connected before. I'm fascinated with challenging status quo, best practices to come up with alternatives. I'm fascinated with change and being different. I'm fascinated with respectfully standing out and going against the grain. I'm fascinated by challenging conversations. I'm fascinated by thinking. And I'm fascinated by other people's discovery. Mm. And so my goal while I'm on stage is to connect dots that were so seemingly unconnected that I can see that, like, whoa, that realization on somebody's face when they just get it, get something. And what they get might not be at all what I intend them to get. But if I can connect dots that are different enough, so that people can, can come to their own conclusions about something that maybe they haven't been doing as efficiently or as effectively as they could have been, That's where I think some real power lies. And it's funny, a good example, you just connected a big dot for me around a tea that came in a box of 20 Mm -hmm. that I thought nothing of ever in my entire life. (laughs) I never thought about like that process. And yeah, it is all energy. And yes, it is amazing. And it's crazy that that whole box of tea was like $3, you know, and Gratitude, I think, around that, or at least appreciation of the process and the fact that we're sitting in a heated apartment in downtown Vancouver, looking at this microphone and computer to record a podcast, something that didn't even exist a decade ago, is amazing. I think what I'm trying to say is that I don't want to call everything amazing because when everything's amazing, nothing's amazing. And if everything is amazing, at least articulate why that is to be the case. Because if I said, this tea is amazing, I lose it. I said the process and the intricacy of getting this tea to this cup and then into my mouth is amazing. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. But it's really hard to break everything that we do in a day down to suggest that, hey, you know this sandwich that we're having that has bread, which is amazing to process, <laughs> lettuce, which came from a different place, and the tomatoes that came from a different place than this mushroom that came, you know, you get the point. It certainly is amazing. And if we use the same language to describe everything – then again, it loses its power completely. And I'm just trying to be cognizant and careful about that.
0: Yeah, I really hear you. I think being a coach, being a writer, being a poet, and Instagram is my main platform. It's where I get most inspired and where I think I most put out my information, my heart, my words. And what I notice is that sometimes it's so easy to just swipe through something that might have taken someone years to Mm -hmm. conceptualize or be able to understand and then put into words and then we just swipe past it. Mm -hmm. Like I know for me, I've written poems and love poems that literally are like such a deep reflection of my inner workings. And people just like, you know, swipe past it, they can Mm -hmm. go back and forth, etc. And it's interesting, like it's actually interesting how we as humans like externalize our experience, especially in social media. And then we can take that in and hear it and feel it and use it as a way to connect. Or we can use it as a way to disconnect Mm -hmm. and kind of disregard and think of it as normal. And I guess in some ways it is really normal to all be having human experiences Mm -hmm. and expressing. But I guess even for me, like I've had to notice where I stop, where I become too used to these profound messages being super available to me to the point that I kind of take them for granted. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on, on the level of just expression and idea sharing going on? Like how is your experience with that?
1: People are at different stages of life at any given time. And what I try and understand or appreciate is that whatever somebody's putting out is significant to them. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not talking about a picture at the beach, you know, I'm talking about some sort of thought process that's original to them. You know, it's really easy to repost some sort of motivational or inspirational quote or something like that. And it might be because they hit them at that perfect time. But like to, to your point, some sort of original thought provoking piece which I try and create as much as possible. If I'm being totally transparent and honest, any article that I ever put out on LinkedIn or through website or whatever it might be, that's not a reflection of society. That's a reflection of me. I usually talk about the problems or the things that I think we're doing wrong. It's not they or you, it's me. And I always say we, because I know that some people are sharing this. It doesn't mean everyone is, but I guess my job is to try and appreciate where people are at and try and meet them there. Because there will be things that I hear from speakers or poets or authors or whatever it is that I just think is a total miss. That's just because I'm not there yet or that I was there a while ago. And I have to know that the same is true whenever I open my mouth. If I say something, people might have discovered that decades ago or they might not be there yet. Or I might hit them just perfectly Mm -hmm. because they're like, yes, I get it. I think that in my field of work right now, when I'm talking about the future of work or culture, I'm trying to talk about things that are societally happening, trends that are happening right now that impact as many people as possible. For example, artificial intelligence, remote or flex work, social or digital media. I find that a lot of people can resonate to that because a lot of us are learning it for the first time or how to deal with it for the first time. So I'm trying to meet as many people where they're at right now, which I think, for example, is what a a comedian does incredibly well. Mm -hmm. The reason comedians are funny is because they meet people exactly where they're at. They make an observation about something that's happening in the world that they're living in right now and nail it. Mm -hmm. And those who don't think they're funny either think it's like inappropriate or offside or they're not at that place yet. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's so fascinating about this. And my job is to really meet people where they're at and get as many people on board as possible. Now, for the record, I'm not trying to get anyone to drink any sort of Kool-Aid or change. That's not my job. My job is to allow you to give yourself the permission to realize something or some action that you're doing and make some whatever change that you want. I don't go on and say you need to be on your cell phone less. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying here's what the consequences of being on your cell phone too much are. Mm -hmm. And people can decide if they're meeting that or not. More often than not, they realize that they are. And then they can make their own decisions as to how to fix it. I guess given that we've got about 10 minutes left, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts. If I can turn it back to you on the conversation that we've had this morning and where that takes your mind and what you can add or subtract or build on based on what's happened over the last 50.
0: Thanks for that. You always bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, what I was just going to say to summarize your point there that I think really speaks to a lot of the themes and philosophies that you've shared throughout the whole conversation is the power of presence, the power of being present with yourself, knowing your own values, expressing those out and when that is done there can be resonance there can be resonance with other people and that theory of presence to resonance could be extrapolated in any sort of business in a nation in the whole world like what are we present to how do we express that how do we express it originally uniquely so that it's appropriate to what's being experienced and then that can create resonance with people and the part that i'm hearing that i'm actually practicing for myself right now that i'm Creating a breakthrough in my life is trusting that what you're present to, what you're experiencing, and who's resonating with you, and who you're touching, and who you're connecting to is perfect. Mm -hmm. And you're exactly where you're supposed to be. And trusting that process and not trying to get anywhere else. For me, as a coach, as a results oriented person, as a person who applied for all of those consulting Mm -hmm. jobs, and bombed the case interviews because there wasn't resonance mm-hmm. there actually wasn't like human to human resonance is what I noticed And like this person isn't even talking to me mm-hmm. they're like looking for a specific way for me to communicate and that's fine they actually needed that that's what they were looking mm-hmm. for and someone who I would say was like definitely like a validation production monster like I just wanted to produce so I could get validated and know that I was valuable and brilliant and belonged etc And now I'm in this space, especially as a coach, like all I talk about is people designing the life that's in alignment with them. Who are Mm -hmm. they authentically? What would that look like day to day, month to month, year to year, over a decade? What's their fullest expression? Right now, I'm a lot more interested in not putting limits by setting goals. I'm a lot more interested Mm -hmm. in what is actually present for me right now. What am I interested in? What do I want to create? And then actually just trusting the flow. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of breaking down my own process, like taking away from my own best practices of set a vision and go towards it. Because what i found is all the vision that I set for the last year, I did not reach it at all. Mm -hmm. But the process to get there, I'm glad that I kind of set the landmark. But Mm I am actually think I'm going to get a lot more fulfillment from the next year from just being present moment to moment and allowing myself to create from there Mm -hmm. rather than trying to get somewhere. So that's really what I've gotten for myself is actually that process orientation rather than results orientation. Like it's kind of a perfect place to be based on all of the conversations I've had in the last week. It's kind of felt like I literally went into a vortex of like everything was broken down. Mm -hmm. Like I've walked away from a lot of opportunities, from my last relationship, from everything that I kind of thought was the structure that I needed. And I'm really willing to build from nothing. And that's a lot more exciting for me. And it sounds like you're a perfect example of doing that. And you're sitting here in front of me saying like, this actually can work for people. You can get to results that are in alignment with who you are from just focusing on who you are.
1: Yeah. I would agree with that. And maybe it's to be determined still because we're still figuring it out. Um,
0: (laughs) it seems to be working
1: but, so far. You know, so far, so good. <laughs> one of the things I think, maybe I'll preface by saying, you know, I did a few sort of student conversations this year, talked to a few thousand students, and one of the words that came up was regret. And I find regret to be pretty fascinating because it's it's a wasted emotion <laughs> or a wasted time. Right. If you regret something that happened in your life earlier, it ultimately got you to where you are today. And the lessons that you learned as a result of it. So If you're not happy with where you are today, and maybe today's something that you regret or what's happening based on the decisions that you're making today, know that where you are right now is where you need to be. And the lessons and the events and the things that have happened to you are all necessary in getting you to where you want to go next. And even if you don't know where that is or what that looks like, try and imagine as to what it feels like. And then if you know what it feels like, know that what it feels like for you is going to be different than how it feels for somebody else. And there's no right or wrong. Don't look at somebody else and say, I need to do that to feel this. Understand internally, what do I need to do to feel this way? And just start doing it. I mean, it's really hard to push this boulder up a hill. If we start chipping it into bite-sized pieces that we can carry up two at a time. And start checking out little things on our list. And that 20 list, and maybe it's about making our bed, brushing our teeth. Maybe it's about going to get groceries. Maybe it's about making a home-cooked meal. doesn't matter what it is. Understand, first of all, what are the things that are going to make me feel happy? The smallest things, the littlest accomplishments, the most low-hanging fruit that we can pick. Go do that. And as we start to build that routine, start to build those habits on a daily basis, know that everything will get better and that the things that we regretted and the things that we hated are ultimately the things that made us who we are today.
0: I am. (laughs) Again, it's just so fascinating how you've gotten to all of these conclusions through just the action of it, because it's literally like almost word for word. Okay. What some of these like spiritual <laughs> teachers yeah. have like spread throughout the ages, and I think it's because it's all universal. You know, right. just accept yourself in the moment, and from here, if you choose right now, like anything can be built from there. Right? If you don't choose the life that you currently have. Then you continue forward, like from a disempowered place. Like when people feel bad, they're not that creative. Is what I found. So, just so brilliant, like such a beautiful statement to leave people with. Is there anything else you want to leave people with and say?
1: I would say that we make very simple problems very complicated. We like to think that the world that we're living in today, on the basic human level, is different than it was in 1800. It's not. The buildings that are around us, the technology that we have access to, the lights, the running water, the all of the things that we do during the day, the cell phones, the computers, the clothing that we wear, the watches on our wrist, yeah, definitely different. When we look at showing people and giving people attention and time and love, when we can feel accomplished, when we can feel fulfilled, when we can feel happy and know that that's not a destination, it's a process. It's an intentional choice on a daily basis that these complex situations that we have are really quite simple and usually start to your point with love, appreciation, acknowledgement, and respect. So if somebody's having a tough time right now, you being the listener, being as somebody, really address what's the root of that problem. And it's probably to your point, love or fear of something, a decision that you need to make or a decision that you did make and know that if we can take it back to its most simplest components to something that's going to make us feel happy or to enable something that will make us feel more happy and know that our happy is going to be different than the person across from us and to achieve it takes action. And action is the hardest part. But if we can make that list, start checking things off and know that this isn't a crash diet, it's a lifestyle and a process, that anything that we want to do in terms of a feeling or a state is achievable one action at a time.
0: Hmm. I just feel so warm and fuzzy I'm just so grateful for the human that you are like both the ideas that you have but just the heart that you have with them like when you stated that it's hard for you to be hated like I think that's just honest and I actually haven't heard a lot of men really state that so just thanks for being real and for getting it and for connecting to yourself and saying that one of the things on your top 20 list might be just like giving a hug to your girlfriend because that's human yeah, I'm really grateful for this conversation, for the expansion of it, for the opportunity to be present in the moment and take action powerfully from there. I really, really want to hear what you as a listener are taking from this conversation, what stuck out for you the most, what surprised you the most. Share on my Instagram at Sonia, S-A-N-J-A, or share it with Eric. You can find him at Termundi. I'm going to put all of his information, all the ways to connect with him. If you want to consult with him for your company or corporation, your growing company might be a good thing to put in place so you can hire the right people from the get-go. I'm going to put it all in the show notes. You can reach out to him. I'm sure he would love to hear from you. I'm going to send so much love to everybody. I hope that you feel love today and I'm giving you all of my love. Sat Nam.